Hey everybody, this is Ruben, and you're listening to Amazing Stories. I'm at the sink here, and I'm just washing the cups, and I just felt the instinct to turn. And in that corner, this object just materialized in thin air, popped into existence, and it went straight at me, bounced off the window like that, and then landed on the floor. And I looked down, and it was a domino. And I, you'll have to beat this, but I said, what the f***? What the f*** just happened? I'm in a semi-detached house in Yorkshire, Northern England. Like 63 Wycliffe Road, it's an ordinary house on a quiet street. But unlike 63, it's still here. And apparently, so is its poltergeist. It was a Sunday, I'll never forget it. And I spent the next two hours being bombarded by objects. This is Bill Bungay, the owner. He's a tall man with a goatee, a ponytail and quite a jazzy shirt. A flying domino could have really hurt you. When it hit the window, I mean, there was a proper clack. I kept it because it's the reality of the object that gives what occurred purchase. You know, the fact is that it's a real object and it genuinely just materialised there. I'm here because Bill's house has quite a reputation. One I'm hoping can shed some light on our case. So this episode, as things intensify for Shirley back in 1956, I'm going to try my own experiment to make contact with a poltergeist. Statistically, what's the chances of me experiencing something in this house? I would say pretty high. I reckon the odds are as good as 7 out of 10. I'm Danny Robbins and this is the Battersea Poltergeist. Episode 6, Fright Night. Hello. So a lot happened last episode. There's some really big new strands to explore. Firstly, we've got this accusation against Shirley, the suggestion that some or even all of the phenomena could be hoaxed, and even that she herself might have started that fire. And then almost like a polar opposite, we've got this idea that Donald is growing in power and he's becoming more violent. There's Wally's arm, uh, the scratches or gouges in the centre of his burn. And that was real. The police took photos. It's those injuries that I find one of the hardest things to comprehend in this case. So I started looking back at other poltergeist cases with reports of someone allegedly being physically hurt. And that's what led me to Bill's house, 30 East Drive in the town of Pontefract. Back in the late 1960s, it was the scene of what's been dubbed Europe's most violent haunting. So now, I find myself actually in the kitchen with Bill. My experience, and bear in mind, I've never been scratched, I've never been burned, I've never been shoved. I haven't been attacked, but there are people that have been carried out of this house. You know, people that have um, uh, given up ghost hunting as a direct result. I'm going to spend the night here to explore the links to our case. But first, let's go back to 1956 and our own haunted house, 
number 63 Wycliffe Road. After the fire, Wally has begged Chip to come back and continue his investigation. So Chip set up camp in the family's kitchen. Shirley, love, uh, stick the kettle on, would you? Morning! Chip! What are you doing under the table? I thought it'd make a good shelter in case anything was thrown in the night. You're sleeping on the floor? Blimey, are you all right? Oh, yes. I, I survived the Western Front. I can cope with some frigid linoleum. Want a cuppa? Oh, that'd be lovely. I shall stash my sleeping bag. Shirley and I sat up for a while last night, Wally, teaching Donald to use these. Alphabet cards? Now, I want to get beyond yes or no. So, I move my pencil across them. And Donald knocks when Chip reaches the letter he wants. Sounds like it could take a while. What if he's a bad speller like Cheryl? Well, I agree, it's not foolproof, but this way I hope we can start to learn more about him. Yeah. So do you really think it's possible to talk to dead people? I hope so. Or I've wasted my entire life. What a thought that is. But yes, I think they're all out there somewhere. My good friends who died on the battlefields of France, your great-grandparents, every person who's lived in this house, and, of course, the famous ones, Shakespeare, Rasputin... James Dean. Yes. The history of humanity is, is waiting for us to hurry up and work out how to talk to them. I'm glad you're back, Chip. You're about the only one who still believes in Donald. Ever since that horrible mail article, everywhere I go, people stare. I can hear them, whispering, she did it. Oh, Cheryl. Do they matter? Yes. I know you haven't been a teenager since, like, Victorian times. No, Edwardian, thank you. What people think of you is pretty flippin' important. Half the street's saying I started the fires, I tried to kill my own family. Hmm. Well, it strikes me that we must fight fire with fire, if you'll forgive the pun. To undo the harm, what we need is another journalist. No. I've had enough. Hear me out. We invite someone to stay overnight, let them witness the phenomena, and then write the truth. We don't trust any of them. Well, there must be one. There was Joyce Lewis. Remember, Dad? She was the first one you let in with Ronald Maxwell. She was nicer, young. She seemed kind of, you know, a bit like me. Then let's issue an invitation to her to spend a night with a poltergeist. Well, this is quite an honour. Joyce, you remember Mum and Dad? Hello, love. Hello. We, uh, we thought you and Shirley could take our bedroom. It's, it's a double. Though we hadn't expected... Oh, sorry. Uh, this is my boyfriend, Steve. He's a policeman. And detective sergeant. He'll just sit by the bedroom door, in case anything happens. <laughs> She's a bit scared. Steve doesn't believe. There's enough scary stuff in this world without needing ghosts. Maybe tonight will change your mind. I <laughs> doubt it. But she can scream if I'm wrong. (laughs) 
Shall we go and get ready, Joyce? Yes, of course. Oh, how exciting. <laughs> I've brought my best pyjamas. <laughs> this way? All right. Are you sure this is a good idea, Chip? You're worried she'll write another critique? No. He's worried Donald will scare the blooming daylights out of her. So, Shirley, we met Joyce Lewis, the journalist, back in episode three. Tell me a bit more about her. She was very nice. We sort of got on because she was nearer to my age. I would say she was about 20, 23-ish. And we sort of clicked, I suppose. And you were hoping that if she experienced a night with Donald, that she'd write something that would convince people that it wasn't a hoax. I knew what was coming, in a way. I knew what if he performed. It is proof that I was saying all along, it's not me. (laughs) Don't look. I'm not. There, I'm ready. Oh, I like your nightdress. And you've got your hair in curlers. Can I do mine? Sure, let me. Sit. I've never shared my bed with anyone before, apart from Mum and Dad. No boys? Of course (laughs) not. (laughs) Well, I've never spent the night with a ghost before. So you do believe? I think so. I mean, when we communicated with Donald that time, it it was very convincing. And, well, when I was little, one time I I walked into our sitting room and saw this little old lady. She turned and, and stared at me. Was she scary? No, she smiled and just seemed confused, like I'd wandered into her house. Maybe you had. Well, then my mum called, and when I looked back, the lady had gone. I wish Donald would smile and disappear. He's more like... Well, I've never had a boyfriend, but I imagine if you break up and then he won't accept it and keeps turning up every night angry, throwing stuff. That's what he's like. Maybe Steve should arrest him. (laughs) Are you out there, darling? Yes. Sleep well. Try not to get possessed. (laughs) I suppose we ought to climb in. (laughs) I hope Donald comes after all this fuss. This might sound odd, but I think I should hold your hands. Are you really that scared? No, silly. Just to make sure you're not doing anything. Oh. And can you put your feet between my legs too? She put a leg over so that my feet were trapped in the middle of hers. This was because she didn't totally trust you then? There was still that suspicion that you were behind it? Oh yes, because that was part of it. This is really weird. (laughs) There, I have you trapped. No faking possible. So, come on, Donald. If you're here... Do your worst. As Joyce and Shirley wait for activity, back at 30 East Drive, I've been joined by a small group of ghost hunters. As night falls, I gather everyone in the living room. So, 
We are here because we think this is a house that may have an active poltergeist in it. And it's a case that has a lot of similarities to the case in Battersea that we're looking at. And I guess this is our best chance, we feel, of actually trying to communicate with a poltergeist. So you're all here to be part of that. Leading the team is Jane Harris. I'm Jane Harris, paranormal investigator. I've been doing this for about 20 years now. She's like a 21st century female Harold Chibbert with a special interest in poltergeists. I'll be leading you all through a series of experiments and we'll be attempting to communicate with whoever or whatever is here. So I think what we're going to do now, if it's okay, is that we're going to split up into smaller groups. This is, by the way, this is the point when traditionally in a horror film one of us will be killed. Yes. (laughs) Don't know who that will be. I partner with Barry John, a psychic medium. See, this is the one that freaks me. There's something sat here waiting. This was Diane's bedroom, so she was the younger child. 30 East Drive's reputation stems from the late 1960s when the Pritchard family lived here. They went through many of the same things as the Hitchings and a lot of the activity seemed to focus on their daughter, Diane, who was the same age as Shirley. You know, it sounds very weird, but I want to say, being in here, I wouldn't have felt safe in this room at all. Whether these cases are real hauntings or hoaxes, they seem to keep coming back to this same rather unsettling thing. There's something quite nasty and seedy about it, isn't there? This idea of this weird male presence in a teenage girl's bedroom, it's... I feel the poor girl didn't get five minutes in this house. No matter where she went, I think there was always something that was, that was bothering her. I'm not feeling what Barry feels. I think it's easy to project the stories about this house onto this claustrophobic little bedroom. Back downstairs, I take a breather outside with two other members of the team, Dave and Jess. Um, we do go off on different locations um, ourselves. We go investigate lots of different places. They tell me about an experience Jess had on another ghost hunt. Previously this year, we joined onto an event and I had been complaining of back pain. It felt like a poker in my back. And I asked my partner if he could have a look at my back and I had three scratches from like the middle of my back to the base, which were probably about, I'd say... A centimetre thick, maybe. You're describing this very calmly, but that sounds freaking terrifying. (laughs) If you could feel my chest right now, it does make my heart race when I talk about it. It was a horrible feeling, and knowing that something had scratched me that wasn't there. So you've got a photograph of it here, Dave. Okay, so that's that's some big red marks there. It does look like something has kind of clawed you down there. It's so hard to tell from a photograph, isn't it? I look at that and that could be scratches, it could be pressure marks from leaning against something. It's hard to know, but that's... I mean, it's very clear. Yeah. It's very red. I'm feeling slightly unsettled after that, and I'm also feeling something else left out. I'm in a house full of people who've had their own supernatural experiences. I want mine. And I think of Joyce Lewis, the reporter sharing Shirley's bed back in 1956, also waiting, uncertain of what to believe. Everything you are about to hear now comes from the article that Joyce Lewis wrote. These are her genuine experiences at number 63 Wycliffe Road. 
Midnight had just struck. With the light still on, the door open wide, we settled down. My notebook and watch were under my pillow. What's that? Is it... him? Yes, don't worry. This is just the beginning. Stifling thoughts of rushing out and hailing the nearest taxi home, I swallowed hard. The time, 12.15. It's right under us. He's letting you know he's here. Does this happen a lot? Every night. Wait, there'll be more. It's icy cold. Is the window open? Closed it. Oh, the sheets! That's a favourite of his. He always pulls them off. Maybe he likes to see girls in their pyjamas. Here. No, I'll do it. You keep your legs between mine. Okay. Perhaps it was a breeze? I mean, there must be a natural explanation. Oh, God. It's moving. I don't like this. 12.22. The scraping becomes more violent. My spine chills as the blood-curdling noise moves to a spot under my pillow. My heart's going like the clappers. You'll be all right. Why do I suddenly feel like the grown-up? said I believed in ghosts. I'm not sure I really did. I think I always thought that old lady was just in my head, but this... well, this feels... Real? 1am. Can you smell something? It's... flowery. Like violets? No, it's... No, it smells like burnt rubber. Oh, no. Steve. 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 Uh, You hit? Were you asleep? Uh, No. Check the lamps and the sockets. Is anything burning? No. No. Uh, no. All fine. Can you smell something horrible? No. Imagining things, are you? I... I'll be outside. (sighs) 1.20am. Ow! My leg! Let's see. I examine the mark on her leg. The skin is reddened and there are four distinct marks, like those of a nail or claw. I've been holding Shirley's hands and feet all the time. Goodness! Does it hurt? Not now. Oh! He tickled my ankle. He's in bed with us. Oh! Oh, Shirley. I'm not holding your hands to test you anymore. I'm holding them because... Oh, I'm bloody terrified.
both back in 1956 with Shirley and then right here at 30 East Drive with Jess, we have people who believe that they have been physically injured by a ghost. I guess I feel like I need a reality check. So I'm going to call our hardcore sceptic, Kieran O'Keefe. Hi, Danny. How are you? I, you know, I don't know, actually. I feel like I might be going down the rabbit hole. Um, I've got people with actual marks on their bodies that they believe were caused by a poltergeist. Well, let me pull you back out of the rabbit hole and say that there are a number of possible natural explanations. The most common one is one that we talk about within research into stigmata, and that's the psychosomatic condition. So in stigmata, of course, people have wounds in particular areas of their body, and we know from the research that those can be caused as a result of a psychosomatic condition which is brought on by excessive religiosity and tremendous meditation on, for example, the crucifix of Christ. In a poltergeist case, you could get a parallel situation where somebody is effectively excessively immersed in the belief of that poltergeist, and they could psychosomatically produce those injuries. So you're saying that the idea of a poltergeist is enough to cause the injury in itself? Absolutely. There's no doubt that the power of the mind is huge and could actually manifest injuries that people attribute to be paranormal. So your mind can actually make you bleed. Every time I talk to Kieran, I... I keep going back to that line of his, never underestimate the power of fear. And we've been talking about this idea of people faking phenomena, but Kieran's suggesting that these injuries to Shirley and Jess are totally real, but just come not from a ghost, but from inside them. It's an almost equally frightening thought. And I think we might now be about to put it to the test, because Jane has just asked us to meet in the living room for an experiment. One of the experiments I like to try is called desensitisation. So we're essentially taking away two of your main senses. So I need two willing volunteers to sit with earplugs, headphones and a blindfold on. And the idea is that the rest of us will just ask the poltergeist to maybe touch you or affect you. And we'll just see what responses we get. I'll be one of them. (laughs) I was hoping you'd say that. The other hand that goes up is Jess. Yeah, I'd like to. Definitely. So are we essentially bait for the poltergeist? You're bait. (laughs) And poltergeist, if you're listening, you have permission to touch these people, affect these people. Jane sits Jess and me opposite each other in the centre of the living room. So now I think, yep, Jess can't see. Okay, and if you pop the headphones on. Just like the Hitchings with Donald, the Pritchard family here at 30 East Drive had a nickname for their poltergeist. Fred. So I'd like to ask now, Fred, if you're in this house, touch one of our friends here in the middle. This should be quite fun for you. Just tap. What was that noise? Did you hear that? Yeah. 
I want to ask you something specific. Could you stand to the left-hand side of Jess, please? Just make her aware that you're there. Move a bit closer. How about pushing that rocking chair that Danny's on? I'm going to count to three, spirit. And on the count of three, I want you to do something, either to Jess or to Danny. One, two, three. 1.35am. Shirley has fallen asleep, exhausted. Shirley mutters in her sleep as the bed starts to bounce up and down as though shaken by a giant hand. Please, stop it. 2.30 a.m. The next bit is taken verbatim from Joyce's article. Shirley. I am startled to feel Shirley's arms slowly go out of the bed. No! I pull frantically, but the force pulling her is too powerful for me. Donald! Let her go! When the girl awakes, shuddering, she is halfway out of bed. Joyce? Oh my God! Shirley! Oh my God! Joyce Lewis, a sensible, level-headed journalist believes she's just witnessed Shirley being pulled across the bedroom by a ghost. Steve! Joyce? You were wrong! So Jess seems to be reacting on the left. Should we put them out of their misery and ask how they feel? Jane takes off our blindfolds and headphones and remember, we've heard nothing of the last few minutes. So I'm just keen to know how you both felt throughout that. Jess, you actually looked quite uncomfortable at one point. I felt like there was something this side. I don't know what. It just felt like it changed. Just before that, I'd asked if the spirit here, Fred, could come and stand on your left-hand side. Okay. That's a bit weird. I catch up with Jess outside. That has to be the weirdest experience I've ever had. I can't explain it, and that feeling I had on my left side, that was, like, there was something there. There was someone there. I felt it. I can't tell you how hard I was wishing that something would happen to me. (laughs) I wonder about the nature of belief Do things happen to believers because they have opened their eyes to a world unseen by most of us? Or does belief simply trick you into attaching hidden meaning to ordinary events? A a tingle in the arm, a a slight breeze, a, a phone vibrating in a bag? Or noises in a dark bedroom back in 1956? It's time to leave 30 East Drive. Come on, one last chance to move something for us in this house. Give us a loud bang. Move something for us that really lets us know that you're there with us, please. 
I say goodbye to Bill, the owner. Out of everything tonight, it's that story about the domino that will most stick in my mind. I know the stories are extraordinary, um, but the world is extraordinary. This is real. This is not made up. There are literally hundreds, if not thousands of people that have experienced things in this house. Are they all making it up? I can't help feeling that if things do fly around the room tonight, it'll be the precise moment that we close the door. Joyce Lewis's article, A Night with a Poltergeist, came out ten days after her dramatic night with Shirley. Whatever happened in that bedroom, Joyce told the world she was convinced that Donald was not a hoax. It's good. Well done, Donald. Just let people say we're making it all up now. So after everything with the Daily Mail expose, Shirley, did you now feel vindicated? Yes. I think she remarked, you know, we laughed about it. My, oh, your big toe can do such a lot, you know, sort of sarcastically. And, you know, I knew it wasn't. We all, well, the family all knew because we all witnessed it. But for an outsider like that, it was proof that he was there. Afterwards, Chib continues to stay at number 63 as often as he can, sleeping on the kitchen floor, becoming more and more obsessed with contacting Donald. Can we at least give you a pillow? Oh, really? I'm fine. One must endure in the pursuit of science. We've been working on our alphabet again tonight, have we not, Donald? I... Good God... Did you hear something? He... He actually replied. He's tapping out a tune. We've got two episodes left and we're heading for a showdown. Between the family and Donald. Between scepticism and belief. Ah! My notebook! He's thrown it! There's writing, but it looks like a kid's. What does it say? Shirley, I come. My Shirley. Next time on the Battersea Poltergeist. Now we've got a message from this apparent poltergeist that's saying he's coming. Given everything else we've experienced, what on earth are we going to be experiencing now? Yes, he liked TV. It was a children's programme and he would ask for it to be put on. Have you gone stark raving mad? Running round like his damn servant.
Thank you for listening, and don't forget to join us tomorrow for yet another amazing story.